What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's podcast. First, before I get into this, I want to apologize about yesterday. My son is uh, six years old. He woke up yesterday sick, and that really took the far, I mean, pretty much all my entire day. We had to end up going to the emergency room. We ended up being very, very dehydrated and to a, you know, very scary level. Like, he was he was very sick, so he's okay now. They gave him some, they pumped him with some electrolytes, and we we're just going to have to do a better job of monitoring him playing outside so hard without always hydrating enough. So it was terrifying, but it's over, and that's why there was no podcast. Yesterday, I was literally set to record, and then he woke up, and all hell broke loose. So that's over with. I advise all of you guys to get plenty of salt in your system, especially for summertime coming up, and um, you know all your electrolytes. So Anyways, let's get into it. First thing I want to talk about is Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't show up to the OTAs for Green Bay, okay? And right away, of course, you got mainstream, more mainstream media is kind of trying to run with this narrative like, oh my God, like you know, it's kind of doom and gloom and dramatic and all that kind of stuff. But thank goodness for the rational former front office content creators out there like Andrew Brandt, who was actually used to work in the Packers organization, was very much responsible for drafting, at least in part responsible for drafting Aaron Rodgers himself. He came out with a great point. I shared it on my story, and he said <clears throat> that um, basically the Packers are never going to admit this publicly, but it's a good thing that Aaron Rodgers isn't there now. And even if he wasn't there for some of training camp, it may not be a bad thing because this is this is like – imagine if Rodgers was there and they just told him like, hey, man, let's let Jordan Love get some first-team reps. Rodgers will look at them like, do what? You know, it, it would be it would be one of those melodramatic things, right? So in this case, Jordan Love, who many, including myself, believe is a raw prospect, is going to get – valuable first team reps in and maybe even into and through training camp maybe even he gets to play a couple preseason games as the starter you know and go in there and play for the first half or something like that that's some really valuable tape on him and imagine what if he goes out there and has the Dak Prescott preseason you know I'm just I'm not saying you're going to trade Rodgers but it would make things a little bit interesting right I mean maybe you want to trade Jordan Love hell if he goes out there and has the Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott preseason. Maybe you go trade. You know, maybe you, maybe you trade him. Who knows? Maybe that kind of eases things over with Aaron Rodgers. So, the other thing is in regards to this situation, I'm going to kind of break down everything with this situation. <clears throat> so, should Green Bay, should they fine him? Right, because they can fine him. It's like ninety three thousand dollars. I'm not sure. If, I, I think that's just in total for OTAs alone. Or they can make an exemption for him, and I think this is what they are doing ultimately, and, and it's already showing. They're basically calling him exempt. You know, they're they're kind of saying, "Hey, because this is my narrative all the time. I mean, not narrative, but my kind of comeback when people say, "Oh, Rogers just won't play." I'm like, "Okay, well, he's going to have a million bucks in fines, and he's going to lose out on a bunch of money." I'm going to get really into detail about exactly how much money he would lose out on this year specifically, and a couple of scenarios that I think would be more scary than him retiring. So <clears throat> first of all, yes, I think the Packers will obviously allow him to be quote unquote excused from the OTAs. And I don't think that's a big deal. I think it's the right move on their part. When it comes time for training camp, if he doesn't show, I'm not so sure they'll do this or actually I don't think they can um, 
say that he's exempt for or excused for the training camp practice. I think that's just something for OTAs. So that's something to keep in mind, right? If Rodgers is now getting fined, I think basically at the end of training camp, it will come out to about a million dollars in fines. So that's not chump change, right? I mean, everybody thinks, well, look, dude, Rodgers is worth, you know, a hundred million plus or whatever dollars. And, and yeah, maybe so, but you have to ask yourself, does he have a hundred million dollars laying in his bank account? And if he does, does he want to cut a bunch of checks that equal out to $1 million? You can say, well, he, he's going to be angry. He's not going to come back and all that stuff. And that might be true, but Green Bay apparently can't call him excused you know, quote unquote, excuse for the training camp um, if he misses practices there. So that's something to consider. But if Rodgers really wanted to play hardball with them, and this is the thing that I think no one's really talking about that I think should be talked about. If Rodgers wanted to really bust their balls, you know what he'd do? He would sit out. He would cut them their million-dollar check, and he would sit out all 10 of the first 10 games. He would just not show up. He would show up, I believe it's – he can – maybe it would be week 10 that he had to show up. But the point is he wouldn't show up until week 10 if he wanted to piss them off. And what that would do for him is if he shows up week 10 and he plays or if he just shows up, he would get his season. It would count, meaning it, his contract would not toll. So if Aaron Rodgers doesn't show, they lose – let's just say they're they're three and six after the first nine games or whatever. He shows up in week 10 and he plays the rest of the season out. You know, no matter what he does there, like meaning no matter if he plays well or if he doesn't play well, he would get his occurred occurred season or whatever. It would not toll, meaning he like if, if he just sits out the entire year, it's not like he gets to um, be in the, the, the 2022 year of his contract. He would still owe the Packers that season. In other words, if he comes back in week 10, then his season counts and and he would basically ruin their season, you know, because unless Jordan Love just comes out and lights it up, which I don't really see happening. Just And also, guys, there was something made last night about Adam Schefter or somebody like that tweeted out, Jordan Love says that he would be ready if he needed to start week one. It's like, is this really news, guys? What is the kid supposed to say? Is he supposed to say, Nah, man, I'm probably a, a year or two away. You know, I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm seeing ghosts out there. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, what you ask the kid this kind of question, what's he supposed to say? Anyone is going to say, of course, that's your job. He's paid millions of dollars per year, whether you like it or not, to be ready to play quarterback if need be, because right now he is the second string quarterback on that team. So. Yeah, I don't know why people are making a huge deal out of that. And they're not making a huge deal out of it, but they're they're putting it out there in such a way that it that it made me that was my natural reaction to it. It's like, why are we pretending like he shouldn't say he's ready to play pro football? He's a second year pro football player. So, anyways, I think that Rodgers ultimately will not do that thing where he sits out the first nine games simply because even though he really might want to. He doesn't want to let his teammates down, I think. That's what, judging by his comments a few weeks ago when he did that interview with, I think it was Kenny Mayne. Basically, he said something along the lines of, I don't want to let my teammates down. If that's the truth and he doesn't want to let his teammates down, well, he'll probably show up, you know? So if you're him, do you, 
here's an interesting one. Do you miss, do you just not show up for the first two games? Tell your teammates, look, man, I'll, I'll be back, but I'm sorry. I got to make my point. I'm not showing up for the first couple games. Because if you remember back in the day when Le'Veon Bell did this for Pittsburgh, he was on the franchise tag, so a little bit different. But, and also Pittsburgh elected not to force his franchise tag to toll. They could have, and they would have still owned the rights to him as a football player for that following season. But they just said, hey, you know what? Good riddance. And they got their third round comp pick and life went on. But in the case of Rodgers, I just think it's that part of it's the most interesting to me because I think that's the only thing he can really do in terms of leverage. Now, if he was to do that, let's talk about the finances of what he would actually lose. So if he lost, if let's just say he comes back in week, you know, he misses the first 10 games. He might have to come back in the 10th, but I did this math on him missing the first 10 games, right? His base salary this year is 14.7 million. So that would be about 8.17, call it $8.2 million that he would have to forfeit over those time, over that time. He would also forfeit a $500,000 workout bonus, which he's probably forfeiting now. He already got his $6.8 million roster bonus, which was paid to him on the, I think it was like March 21st. So that's already in his pocket. But in terms of money that he would actually lose, he would have to pay the $1 million in fines. He would also, again, lose the $8.2 million, we're going to call it, in, in prorated salary over those first 10 games. And then he would also lose the five hundred k. So all that comes out to about, let's call it $9.7 million, right? Which if I'm in the Green Bay front office right now, I'm low-key terrified because that's very affordable for Aaron Rodgers. If he really wants to put it, put up a stink and kind of, you know, make his point, that's to me the scariest part about it. I saw, I think it was a former front office guy, I can't remember his name right now, tweeted out the other day, <clears throat> like the Packers should really start to worry if he doesn't come back and you know in the preseason. And I'm like, no, that that to me that's still a bonus. If he shows up a week before the season, I think that's the best case scenario for Green Bay. If he doesn't show up until week ten or eleven or whatever it is, that is a very big problem because. At that point, Green Bay, to even be relevant this season, would need Jordan Love to be immediately a good quarterback. Because Aaron Rodgers, just the threat of him being Aaron Rodgers alone, makes that run game better. And the, and the run game makes him better too, to be fair. As it would any quarterback. As Tampa's run game made Brady better down the stretch last season when they actually could run the ball well. So... I think that, um, yeah, that would that would be like the worst case scenario for the Green Bay Packers. I, I don't think that'll happen, and I don't think they'll trade him because, wh- like, why? Why would they trade him if you were the Green Bay? If you were the GM of Green Bay, and you're like, all right, we got to trade. Like, why would you do that? Why? I mean, honestly, because he's mad. So, because Aaron Rodgers is mad, you're gonna literally forfeit the 2021 season and maybe even beyond that. You know, I, I don't think that, look, you made a mistake, no doubt about it, as the as the GM, not telling him that you're going to draft Jordan Love and all that kind of stuff. You made mistakes. 
But, and I say this a lot, making another even more devastating mistake in terms of trading Aaron Rodgers after an MVP season would only compound mistakes. It's not something you want to do. It's like playing a game of poker, losing a hand because you played it awfully, and then making an even worse play in the following hand to try and recoup the lost money from the previous hand. It's not a smart move. It's probably not going to end well for you. And mark my words, if Gutenkunst somehow trades, uh, I may have pronounced his name wrong, but I'm trying. If he trades Aaron Rodgers, it might be the last, one of the very last moves he makes as a GM in this league. Because if he trades Rodgers, they go out there and go three and 14 or whatever, he's gone. It's simple. Like you drafted Jordan Love, that pissed Rodgers off. Then you traded Rodgers. Then it forced you to put Jordan Love in there before he was ready. He goes out there and he's awful. And now he's a bust. That is just, you're left holding the pile of shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like for, I mean, that's just the reality of it. That's, that's a awful sequence of events. And I don't believe, I don't think any GM would be able to withstand that. So it's crazy how quick things can change in the NFL because Gutenkunst in large part has done a very good job as a GM. But one mistake here, you handled this Rogers situation the wrong way and it could all come tumbling down. So my prediction again is that he shows up. I think he'll show up by week one. I don't think he wants to let his teammates down. And I think that if he does show up by week one and it's, and it is week one in which he shows up, I think that's the best case scenario for Green Bay. Because again, that gives Jordan Love all these first team reps, especially in preseason live action that he wouldn't have otherwise got. So I think that's a pretty much a best case scenario, but there is, and I just want to put it out there, a pretty semi-affordable, less than $10 million out of Rogers pocket way for him to get his year and screw the Packers over. But he'd have to do that in a way where he'd screwed his, all of his teammates over as well. So that, that would be difficult, but just want to put it out there. That is possible. All right. Second thing I want to talk about today is the 49ers have been hit with a couple big injuries. They, they, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but they canceled Tuesday's OTAs because if you remember back in 2020, just last year, they pretty much lost everyone. Or it was like Boza, Jimmy Garoppolo, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of guys. It was just, I mean, Richard Sherman. It was nonstop for them. So Tavarius Moore, the safety, he's technically a backup, but to me, he's a very good player. I had a second round grade on Tavarius Moore coming out. It's like six three, two hundred pounds, freak athlete. Um, I think he's a really good player. I think that he should be starting, to be honest. But if, in any case, he's a rotational player, tore his Achilles, and then Justin Skewell tore his ACL. So devastating. And I think Shanahan and, and um, Lynch are just like, you know what, man? We're not doing this. <laughs> Forget OTAs. Fuck OTAs for a second. Let's just go do some team-building activity. And to be honest, I think that was the right move, right? Like, what what's going to happen next? Like, let's just calm it down get your guys in better football shape or do whatever you have to do. Just survive to training camp at least, you know? So that part of it, I understand. And it's, it's tough, you know, cause you want to get on the field as early as possible and kind of get together as a team actually doing football activities. But I don't blame the 49ers for this one bit. I think that it's, you know, just, especially with the way things went last year, just get out of there and, and we'll figure it out later. That kind of thing. So, Another thing I want to talk about real quick, guys, is the Minnesota Vikings and the transformation that could be their defense from 2020 
2021. They were awful from a statistical standpoint in 2020. When you look at their starting cornerbacks, <clears throat> excuse me, they had Jeff Gladney, Cameron Dantzler, and I think Mike Hughes played a little bit, but but just the tandem was Dantzler, Gladney. Now that has upgraded. And remember all free agency period long, I was saying, hey, sign veteran free agents that have two or three years left in the tank to one-year deals. Well, they did that with Brashad Breeland and Patrick Peterson. Those guys were both CB1s on their team last year. Breeland's team happened to go to the Super Bowl two years in a row where he was the CB1. And then last year, you could make the argument he was the CB2 after Tavarius Moore or um, Legereus Sneed, sorry. But in any case, he was a very valuable piece to a Super Bowl team, back-to-back year Super Bowl team. Brashad Breeland's a stud, guys. He's not like a decent player. I don't know why the NFL doesn't like him as much as they should, in my opinion, but he's a really, really good football player. Patrick Peterson, it would not shock me one bit if he if he's kind of the new Terrence Newman for Mike Zimmer. The transformation of that of that position group in terms of those two starters there, because they will both start, in my opinion. And Dancer will be on the field still, and I don't quite know what's going on with Gladney with his legal stuff, and Mike Hughes obviously got traded, but when you just look at that, right, and then you think, I'm not even sure what the Prashad Breedland contract was. I'll try and I'll try and look that up. But the hold on, Bashad Breedland. Um the transformation for a relatively cheap price. Okay, Breeland's four million bucks. So Breeland for four million, Patrick Peterson, I think, was ten million. Fourteen million dollars. That's an average of seven million a year on, on each starter, right? For a starting set of cornerbacks that are good players, in my opinion, really good players, it's a pretty damn savvy way of doing business. And that's why I kept banging the table for <clears throat> for moves like that, right? Like, let's sign some good veterans that are in their low 30s, you know, or, or right around 30 years old, and let's get them on the field. You know, and I think the biggest question for Minnesota now, you got to remember, they're getting a guy named Daniel Hunter back well at least that's the hope hunter wants and i want to talk about him for a second he wants a new contract because he signed his contract about three years ago i think it's before 2018 and his deal is definitely outdated right he signed a five-year 72 million dollar deal for a little over 14 million 14 and a half million let's call it average annual salary and this year he's set to make 12.15 million the issue isn't can he play? Because as I mentioned, if they do get him back, you're, you're getting a guy back that had over the previous two seasons, because again, he didn't play last year. He had 29 sacks and 36 tackles for loss, 41 hits on the quarterback. I mean, he is an elite football player when he's healthy. So in theory, you're getting you're getting him back. Let's be realistic. You're getting him back, right? But the thing about it is, he wants a new deal. I don't blame him for wanting a new deal. It's just the the unfortunate part about that is it's coming out in a time where you just missed the entire previous season with, I believe, it was a neck injury, if I'm not mistaken. So, anyways, I'm not going to get into all that. I think he'll eventually be back. I would expect them to. 
I don't know if they'll give me any more money, maybe a little bit more just for this season or whatever. Just kind of like not don't put additional years on it. But let's just say they get him back. You're getting back a legit stud, okay? Even if he's 80% of what he once was. You're getting back an absolute stud as a pass rusher. You've got a bunch of young guys there that you've drafted in the last couple of years along the defensive line that could come into their own. And now <clears throat> you've got two legitimate veteran cornerbacks that are going to be starters for you and are going to play at a pretty high level. You know, I think that the floor of Patrick Peterson and Brashad Breeland as a tandem is like the 15th best tandem in football. I think that's their floor. So Minnesota, in my opinion, is, and I said this several weeks ago, even before the Brashad Breeland signing, I think it was before, that I expect them to be a better defense this year. I don't think you're going to see Mike Zimmer go out there and shit the bed two years in a row. I just really don't, I don't see that happening. So that's my take on it. I think the Vikings are going to be a much better defense. And if that defense is a lot better, guys, we're talking about a team in Minnesota. I'm not going to get carried away here and say they're going to be Super Bowl champions. But I will say we're talking about a team that has, in my opinion, a rebuilt offensive line that is, even if it's not great this year, it will be it will be solid this year, I think, and it will be very good, maybe even great in the years to come. Okay, along with a defense that let's say it gets even to, to a little bit above league average, like the 14th best defense in football, which I think is possible. And I know that would be a gigantic jump because they were probably the 30th best defense in football last year. But if they get that, if they're able to do that, right? And you've got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook on the offensive side of the ball, along with, of course, Kirk Cousins, who we've established is very, very underrated. You're talking about a team that's going to be, in my opinion, in the mix for the NFC North title. <clears throat> and if nothing else, they'll be a wild card team. So I think it's more likely that they're the 14th ranked defense after 2021 that it is that Mike Zimmer's defense shits the bed in his late 20s, early 30s in terms of where their ranking is on defense. I think that it was, it's more likely and more reasonable to assume that they are league average or slightly above than terrible. Again, I, I just believe that, right? So obviously a big piece of that puzzle is going to be Daniel Hunter. You've got to get him back. Maybe if, if you're Minnesota, just, just say, look, dude, we'll give you $2 million more million this year. Just no, no additional years, no, nothing crazy, but we'll just throw two million more in signing bonus just for this season, you know, or whatever. You can still prorate it out if you want. But point is, we'll give you two million additional dollars. And if you come back and you play healthy and you're healthy and you play, you know, really well this year, then we'll tear this deal up and we'll get you a brand new one before next season starts. So as as of right now, he's under contract through 2023. And that's what's working against him because the team is thinking, dude, you got a shitty agent. Sorry. You know, you signed this deal. Like the Vikings, what they did, and this is why I'm a big fan of this. The Eagles do this a lot too, historically. They sign guys and give them real money before they know they're great or good. And that's what happened here. You know, a 14 $0.5 million average annual salary for a guy like Daniel Hunter in 2018 seemed fine, right? It was like, whoa, that's kind of a lot of money for that guy. Because at that point, let's see. At that point, he had, in his first three years, he had six sacks, 12 and a half sacks, seven sacks. So he was only 23 years old 
going on 24 years old, basically in 2018. That means, wow, what a great signing that was. Because again, it's not that they screwed him over. They just, they believed in him so much that they may have slightly overpaid for what he was technically worth at that time, knowing that if he becomes the guy that they think he can become, it's going to be an absolute steal of a deal. And that's exactly what happened. So the unfortunate thing now for Hunter, again, is he's got this injury thing going on. So he's got to come back from that. So it's going to be tough. You know, with three years left on your deal, I don't know if the team's going to really be super eager to give him a crazy amount of new money because, again, he signed the contract, right? So anyways, I think ultimately they'll get it figured out one way or the other, and he'll be on the field. And again, this Vikings defense Get him to 14th or 15th best in the NFL, and you got yourself a playoff team, in my opinion. Okay, last thing I want to talk about is the Buffalo Bills. They had a fight the other day in in OTAs, which is awesome. And I just want to remind, some people were saying this as as if it were a negative. This is not a negative. The last time, let me just say this, the last time that I recall a Sean McDermott team having a full-on fight amongst teammates in – training camp slash OTAs, it was the 2015 season when he was the defensive coordinator for my Carolina Panthers, and it was between Josh Norman and Cam Newton. And oh, by the way, the Panthers were pretty good that year. <laughs> they were, uh, I believe, the start of the season 14-0, and finished 15-1, and finished 17-2. and Of course, losing in the Super Bowl, that still breaks my heart. Kotri caught it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think that What that shows, and it's something we already knew, they have built a reliable culture in Buffalo. And you might say, wait, culture, they shouldn't be fighting. That's not a good culture. It absolutely is. They compete with each other, right? That's what a culture is. It's not that you don't disagree or you, you know, it's not all lovey-dovey. It's we love each other so much. It's like your brother. You know, how many times have you punched your brother as your brother punched you? If you're, you know, you're, you're both boys and you you grow up and I mean similar age group, you're, you're getting fights, but it doesn't mean you don't love each other. Right? So I think that whatever, I don't even need to know the specifics. I know it was AJ Epinesa and John Feliciano. And I know I know Feliciano's a big UFC fan. So maybe he just wanted to test out some moves that he's been learning this offseason. Who knows? You know, but the point I'm making is it to me tells us what we already knew. They are They've got the right guys in that locker room in Buffalo. They are highly competitive. That's what I mean by that. And they care. It's important to them. And more often than not, of course, this is if this becomes a huge distraction and it's like tearing the team apart, that's one thing. But I don't think that'll happen, number one. I'm actually certain that won't happen. And number two, it's just going to make them better. At the end of the day, it's going to make them better. Like the situation with Cam Newton and Josh Norman, it was made, a huge deal was made out of it, right? Cam threw a pick to Norman. Norman returned it for a touchdown. Cam chased him down, tackled him in the end zone, and they got in a full-on, or it wasn't a full-on fight, but they, they they were headed that direction, right? And the leaders of that team handled it, Thomas Davis mainly, Charles Johnson, I believe, and they they rectified it. It was fine. Ron Rivera let them handle it. They told him, hey, coach, we got this. And Rivera just stood back and let them do their thing. And it was water under the bridge. And it makes for competitive practices because those two guys, 
AJ Epinesa and Feliciano, they're going to be battling against each other in practice. And that's going to bring the energy up all around. So to me, it is absolutely a good thing. And I'm even more encouraged by the fact that it was an OTAs. Honestly, I really am. I think that that just shows like they are serious about competing and, and playing to the best of their ability and, and they take it personal. So that's just my two cents on it. I think it's a great thing. But anyways, guys, I again, I apologize about no podcast yesterday, but I will be back again tomorrow. And I appreciate you guys listening. Give it a subscribe, share, review, all that stuff if you have time and you're enjoying it. Peace.